Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tallison Insights Podcast, conversations designed to help families build on their success and leave a more meaningful legacy. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, and today, once again, I'm joined by Tallison's president, Richard Joyner. Today, Richard is going to share with us some lessons that he has learned watching families navigate the pandemic. This has certainly been an interesting season for everyone, but especially for families with multi-generational wealth. And so Richard has some observations and some ideas that I think are going to be helpful. So take a listen to our conversation. And then I'll be back with a few closing comments. All right, Richard, good to see you again. Great to be with you. Thanks. You too, Adam. So here we are. Uh, you know, we're near the end or hopefully near the end of this global pandemic. It's been something that's been very, uh, very impactful for all of us over the last 13, 14, 15 months. And you've had a very unique perspective over this last season. You haven't just navigated the pandemic with your family, but you've navigated this with dozens of families. Uh, what's that been like for you? It's been a very, very interesting uh, 18 months or so. Uh, as you say, having navigated this process, watching about 180 other families, it's been a great opportunity to see how they've navigated so many different challenges. And I can't recall a time when there have been as many challenges on families of wealth, families with operating businesses as there have been the last 18 months. I mean, start start with the obvious health challenges, um, whether it's an illness or somebody passing away, some of those kinds of things, as tragic as that is. Isolation, isolation from loved ones, not being able to attend weddings or normal family gatherings, um, changes in, in decision making. My goodness, if you have a family business and you're making decisions about a family business during a time of pandemic, there were, there were some difficult choices that many businesses had to make in a very, very compressed time frame and often with almost no information. And so not only are you having to make difficult decisions, but in some situations, family members are interacting differently. So a a parent that has exited the business may feel the need to come back in in the case of an emergency like this. So it's changed so many dynamics that it's been just like a a laboratory in terms of watching how it impacts uh, a family and the way that they relate to one another and the way that they communicate with one another. And so working with 180 families over this this time period, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some patterns, you've seen some things that work well, maybe some things that didn't go well. What stands out to you? What are some things that you've learned as you've observed these families? So, so first of all, having observed so many families, some of them on a day-to-day basis, um, we've seen lots of things, adaptations that have actually worked well, and we've seen some that haven't worked as well. And so it's interesting, you can learn a lot from both. So the first thing that, that always comes to my mind in a, in a time period like this or when I'm reflecting on this time period is, is the idea of transitions. You know, for so many families, transitions are a normal thing. Weddings, graduations, births, deaths, marriages. Those are all very, very normal part of life for most people. In the world of multi-generational wealth, however, transitions can bring greater challenges. They can be much more complicated the level of the level of complexity that comes with transitioning management in a family business, the level of complexity that comes with rearranging an estate plan or changing an entity structure or taking over just the decision making when a parent or somebody is not able to do so. Though that, that complexity changes the nature of, of the transitions and it really it really brings a lot of uncertainty to the process, particularly when the transitions occur in a short time frame with a lot of uncertainty. For me, for me where, that, where that always takes me is transitions like this can be a catalyst for change, positive or negative, but they also bring risk. And if you're, if you're a family 
that has accumulated significant wealth and you have that complexity, understanding the nature of that change and the risk that comes with it, I think is really, really important. Yeah. So let's talk about that risk for a little bit. I mean, is there anything that you've seen as you've been helping families over this last season, anything that you've seen that has helped them just reduce the risk that is associated with some of these transitions that do pop up? Yeah. So the ones that seem to have navigated the process most successfully seem to be the ones that have have embarked on a process of what I would call broadly preparation. They've spent some time thinking about the process of working through whatever a transition might be, a change in leadership, a change in responsibility, a transition from one generation to the next. All of the families that have navigated it well seem to have done more work around preparing themselves for that transition. So what exactly does that look like? What does that really mean? And it's easy to say preparation, but preparation can be a lot of things. For me, if you're if you're a parent, take a minute and think about your kids in any kind of a team sport that they've been involved in. When you think about team sports, soccer, most of the conversation, you know, most of the dinnertime conversation is about games won, games lost, goals scored, those kinds of things. But the reality of it is that a lot of the time that's spent in that process is actually practice time. And while the practice time is never is, you know, oh, I'm so excited to go to practice. The kids are never excited about practice. (laughs) The importance of that as a part of the process can't be missed here. Because what is what is a practice after all, if it isn't simply a rehearsal for the big for the big event, you have to understand the rules of the game, how to play positions, how to play with one another, how to pass, how to defend. And one player on his or her own can't always change the outcome if everybody else doesn't play their role as well. And so it's really very much like that in a family setting. It's like, it's like, how do you go through that, a deliberate process of practice over a period of time so that you better prepare yourself for situations that, uh, that might occur like this? What happens often when something happens suddenly and unexpectedly is you don't know exactly how you're going to react until it actually happens. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Again, that element of risk. Yeah. And I mean, the sports analogy works really well because it, it's like you, uh, you know, you game plan for maybe, uh, let's say football for a team to play a particular offense or run a certain set of plays. And then you get out there and they're running a completely different set of plays. And everybody's kind of the team's looking at each other and going, all right, we weren't ready for that. We didn't know they were going to exactly. do that. We thought they were going to throw the ball, not run the ball or whatever it is. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is, hey, during this last pandemic or during this season, um, this was a good time. You, you, it was kind of exposed. Who's been practicing for transitions and who hasn't been practicing for transitions? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. The other organization that always comes to my mind when I'm talking about preparation is the Navy SEALs. You know, it's an organization that's always in dangerous, difficult, challenging situations. And it's always been interesting to me to hear how an organization like that trains. So how do they, how do they prepare themselves for everything that might possibly occur on a mission. They, the, the SEALs have this great quote, it's under pressure, you don't necessarily rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. And so I think that's a particularly important thing to think about. The training part of that process is important. So if you're a Navy SEAL and you're, you're training for a particular kind of a mission, think about how you plan for all the things that might go wrong. Equipment malfunctions, somebody does something not expected, orders don't get carried out exactly the right way, whatever it may be. You're trying, you're having to prepare yourselves really not just for what you think is the most likely outcome. You're having to prepare yourself for this wide range of other potential outcomes and figure out what you might do differently in those situations. My mom, 
is 91. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, she fell. And when I was talking to her, she fell, she hit her head, she had to go to the hospital. It was, you know, minor concussion, fortunately. But I asked her, mom, don't you have one of those alerts around that we wear on your neck or on your wrist? And she said, yeah. She said, but I didn't think to use it. So she ended up falling and waiting until somebody actually found her in her front yard when she had the alarm right there and she just didn't think to use it. So the point is, I think when you're in a stressful situation like that, you don't always know how you'll react. And so the more real the practice is, the more you'll actually be able to sink to the level of your training and still be successful. So simulate difficult situations, simulate situations that wouldn't normally occur, and then actually work through the decision-making process or whatever it is to prepare yourself for that kind of outcome. Yeah. And, and the metaphor works in Navy SEALs and it works in sports. And I think we're all nodding our head in agreement going, yeah, yeah that makes sense. And now trying to think about how to practically do that with a family, either a family business or just a family that maybe they're not running businesses together. They do just have a lot, you know, multi-generational wealth and they're talking about how to transfer that. So let, let's unpack this a little bit in, in family life and, and what you're seeing with some of these families. What does practice look like? I mean, I, I kind of, uh, you can't, uh, this isn't like, all right, let's have a pretend board meeting and let's pretend son that you're now uh, the dad or that, you know, daughter, you're now uh, the leader of this. And so is it that kind of role-playing practice or what, what are some practical ways you're seeing practice happen? So it's, it's a great question. The, the first thing that I always fall back on is the importance of having the right set of communication skills within a family. That's good. Because if you can't communicate effectively, directly about difficult topics. Dad, if something happens to you and you can't make these decisions, who's going to do it and how should they do it? And who should they rely on for information? You've got to be able to, to have those kind of conversations that are not either necessarily natural or easy and yet still have them and have productive, have productive conversations. So I think communication skills and then creating the opportunities for the actual communication to occur around events that might happen to the family. If it's a board meeting, create the opportunity for younger family members to come and observe for a period of time. Let them, let them watch other people who have experience doing those things. And so they learn from watching, they learn that for a period of time. As, as skills grow, you give people the opportunity to try some of the things that they're actually going to be doing. Let them, let them make charitable contributions on behalf of the family. Let them make a smaller set of decisions so they understand the pressure and the timeliness that, that goes along with making those decisions when things are happening quickly. And, and then finally, over a period of time, bring them into the process fully and let them actually be in a decision-making role. That requires, however, some family members giving up some control, which is difficult, particularly if it's an entrepreneurial family. I think, though, the importance of doing that can't, can't be understated. If you look at the families that made it most successfully through the pandemic, they weren't perfect. They didn't have all the answers, but the ones that I saw over and over again that had actually worked through situations like this, it wasn't, it wasn't as hard for them to actually have direct conversations. We need to cut the dividends that the company's paying. Well, gosh, nobody wants to hear something like that. But the fact that you've talked about it as a possibility and you understand the motivation, you understand that saving the business is more important than just cash flow to a family member, it puts you in a position where those conversations can go much more quickly and reach an outcome that's much more successful. Yeah. So in some ways, I think what I'm hearing you say is, is just normalizing some of these conversations is one way to practice. So just getting in the habit of talking about this as a family, what you were talking about there with communication skills, 
that's going to help you role play and think about different scenarios. I love what you were saying there. And it's, and it's a leadership principle that we would talk about with our organizations, right? View, voice, vote. That's a great delegation principle. Give people a view, right? And then after they, they kind of get a view and see how things go, then you can give them a voice, get, give them, uh, allow them to speak into the decisions that are being made. And then ultimately after they've uh, really understood the, the situation or the dynamics, then they can get a vote. That's some really practical ways to practice right there and think about uh, if you are the leader of a family of a multi-generational, a family with multi-generational wealth, who else in the family can you start to give a view, a voice and a vote to? That, that could be some ways to practice. And I think if a family comes together and goes through that thought process deliberately, you won't necessarily find that every that every family member has the same skills or the same goals. It, not everybody wants to run the company or make all the decisions. So it's a little bit different only in that sense. But knowing that a particular family member doesn't want to make those decisions is information that's helpful as well. It may mean that you bring in other outside managers. It may be that another family member can take that role. But I think, I think the, the notion of doing that kind of a process deliberately and doing it over time and I would say starting now yeah. <laughs> is yes. really, really important. There's never, you know, there's never the perfect time to start because you don't know when the crisis is going to occur. But it's so important to be down the road. And, and, and again, I would say the families that were more successful, they hadn't reached the end of the journey. Nobody declared them ready for whatever would come. Nobody thought a pandemic would come. But the fact that they had done some work together made the process easier for them. That's really good. And so let's let's uh, let's switch this here. Just talk to a maybe uh, a different listener that that may be tuned in right now. And so uh, obviously, a lot of the, what we're saying right now is great for the leaders of the family, those that are really in the positions to make decisions. It's normal for them to call family meetings or business meetings and things like that. What about maybe the son, the daughter, the cousin, the niece, the nephew? that they don't really feel like they've got the authority in their family to start engaging in these conversations or, or uh, initiate these conversations. But yet they're going, yeah, I think my family needs to practice some of these. H how would you encourage them to apply some of these principles? Great question. I think the first thing that I would tell anyone as a younger family member would be to go out and find the opportunity to build the skills on, in, on your own. So, so in many families, if, if you're not at a point where you're encouraged to come work in the family business, for example, Go out and seek an opportunity to work in another business where you can actually learn the skills that will be helpful and important to you when you do transition into the family business. Likewise, if you are interested in other things, maybe you're interested in philanthropy and not running the family business. That's perfectly OK. Finding, finding a different path and making your own path and building the skills yourself, I think, is critically important. And it prepares you for the, for the time when the opportunity will inevitably come. Um, ways to engage in conversations, like maybe there's a son or a daughter that, that needs to engage in this conversation or wants to engage in this conversation with their parents. They don't know how this is, uh, they've never had, they've never talked about mom or dad's wealth or anything like that, or the business. What, how would you encourage them to start some of these practice conversations? I would say that the most effective tool in a case like this is curiosity. Curiosity to me is, is one of the most disarming ways to have conversation that sometimes is challenging. I think that if you if you go to your parents and you say, I'm, I'm concerned about how this will happen, how something will take place when, when you're not with us, or if you become ill, how do I know what your wishes and desires are? You don't have to make it about money. And I think a lot of families get intimidated when, it, when it's about dollars. Talk process. Process is, is as important. So what will happen if? Have you made arrangements for this? 
what would you want my role to be in a situation like that? Who would make medical decision? When you talk process and you use curiosity, as opposed to you need to do this, I think it changes the whole conversation. And I think it can plant the seeds for a much, a much better ongoing dialogue uh, in a situation like that as parents age or as other things might come up. That's really good. And I had a friend of mine that just gave me just some personal advice recently as my parents are starting to uh, advance in age and just going, I've never had this conversation with them. And they just said, hey, here's the thing. Just ask this simple question. Anything I can do to help, right? Just, is there anything I can do to help? I was like, it's so simple, but yet I was so caught up into the, well, I don't want them to think and yada, yada. And that was such a great question to just go, hey, how can I help? Yeah. Conversations about money are often so intimidating. And I just think that simple, that simple question that you, that you just laid out is a great way to, to start a discussion. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked about this before, and, and this seems so simple, but again, it's, it's worth saying, uh, passwords, right? Just simple, simply even just going, where are the passwords can be uh, a helpful start to this conversation, right? Yeah. So, so when you think through something as traumatic as somebody passing away, um, the number of decisions that need to be made and the number and the amount of information that needs to be transmitted is really pretty daunting. Passwords are a great example of that. But think about walking into a situation where a loved one has passed away and under all that stress and strain, trying to figure out how to get access to account information or whatever else might be. I mean, everybody's got hundreds of passwords, it seems like anymore. There's so much there's so many things that it would help to be prepared for. I actually keep a list. I keep an eight or nine page uh, document that I update at least once a year. Here's what I have and here are the people who are helping me and here's where the documents are located and here's where my key to the safe deposit box is. I mean, that's a very basic form of preparation that in a situation where a health crisis arises or somebody passes away, it's enormously beneficial just to have that information to start you down the road. Again, it goes back to we sink to the level of our preparation. Our preparation gives us at least a roadmap to start the process. That's good. Well, Richard, before we wrap up, I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of specifics here today, view, voice, vote. We've talked about the importance of communication, passwords, uh, just trying to practice if you're uh, a younger family member, how to engage in those conversations. So somebody listening, you just want to give them one thing to, to start the process. If they had to just take one step today, what, what uh, step would you encourage them to take? Start the conversation. Be curious. Talk about your intent. My intent is my intent is not to be nosy. My intent is not to change the direction that you've already taken. My intent is to be helpful. And I think I think if you start there, good things happen. That's right. Well, uh, don't waste the crisis. Right? Like that. This was uh, we were all given a gift in some ways to be able to go through this and and prepare. And I love your message here that it's don't waste it. Uh, there's still start today is what you said. Start having these conversations today. This practice is going to pay off and it's ultimately going to help your family. So uh, uh, great stuff, Richard. Always great to be with you. Thanks, Adam. I enjoyed it very much. Well, if you or your family would like some help having some of these practice conversations or starting some of these practice conversations that Richard and I just talked about, or if you have any other questions and would like to talk to one of the professionals at Tolleson Wealth Management, then please visit tollesonwealth.com to start that conversation. And as a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on today's episode do not necessarily reflect the views of Tolleson Wealth Management. The information that Richard and I discussed today is for informational purposes only. This was not a solicitation or an offer to buy a security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. As always, you should consult your professional advisors before making any tax, legal, financial planning, or investment decisions. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Towson Insights Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. That's all for today, and we'll talk to you again next time.